Hi everyone, welcome to You Belong Here. I'm your host, Beth Ruffin. And if you've ever struggled with understanding your place in the world, I'm so glad you're here. I'm your guide for getting unstuck and showing up for yourself. Each week, we'll discuss actionable steps you can take to insist on yourself, ignite yourself to action, and create meaningful impact in your life. If you're ready for a life-changing transformation, grab a notebook and a pen and get ready. And in case no one has told you today, you belong here. Welcome back to another episode of You Belong Here with Beth Ruffin. Today's guest is Dana. And as of the recording of this episode, this is the first time that we've met. But I am looking forward to us building a long friendship that hopefully by the end of this conversation will feel more like friends than strangers. (laughs) So how are you doing today, Dana? I am well. Thank you for asking. So can you, Dana, tell us about who you are and what you do? Yes. So I'm Dana Hexel, born and raised in the Bronx, New York. And for the longest, I've been a mental health professional with 10 years in the game. I provide individual and group-related counseling services to children, families, and adults. Um, I've done this in every capacity at this point, from psychiatric care to school-related services, as well as outpatient treatment services. So all around, I consider myself a wellness professional because that's the overall focus. I believe in supporting the whole individual. Yes, absolutely. Are there any common issues that you typically are seeing nowadays with people? Yes, you know, I think towards the end of COVID, everyone was just so excited to re-engage, to go back outside, but no one really thought about some of the mental health implications. And we're seeing a spike everywhere where everyone's trying to get connected, to gain access, and just trying to feel safe and whole again. And so a lot of those concerns are creating anxiety you know, are creating depression, are creating uncertainty for so many people, especially for children. They lost a lot of time and they've seen a lot of shifts. So doing the work with the families has been increasingly important, just trying to get people back to their lives, you know, and who they are. And I don't even know, like, is there a normal for us to get back to? Like, I feel like a lot of us are also grieving the life that maybe we had prior to COVID. And now things are different and it feels like it's going to be different for good. You know, I'm very big on saying you have to get comfortable with the uncomfortable. And sometimes when you're in that space, that's when greatness is formed. So although we couldn't have foreseen this to be an event in our lives, no one could have foreseen this, you know, we're adjusting. And that's the beauty in our resilience, that as individuals, we have the ability to be conquerors and overcome the things that we feel are most difficult. And so I feel like as long as you have the right supports in place and as long as you're willing to accept that help to get through it, it can happen. We can get back there and be even better than we were before. Mm. So first of all, and I feel like I say this every episode, where's the offering plate? Because you're preaching. Uh, (laughs) You're right that sometimes it, it takes the hard situation for us to grow. I was just reading something the other day about how pearls are formed. And we know it's like when a piece of sand gets in there in the oyster's mouth and over time, over time, it becomes this beautiful and valuable and worthy thing. 
And so I love looking at these things in our lives as sand. And over time, what can we produce through our trials and our tribulations that could be valuable and worthy for the world? Oh, I love that. <laughs> I'm going to use that. <laughs> I love that. All right. It's on yours, but <laughs> So I want to get into the conversation around self-inclusion and particularly as it pertains to mental health. People who follow me, they know that I've struggled with mental health. I've had depression and anxiety my entire adult life. I've tried to be more open about sharing that piece of myself in the public eye because I want people to know it's okay. Like you talked about the whole self. Our brains are part of our body. This is a medical issue. And often we don't look at it that way. So I want us to kind of talk to those people who are going through some things now. They may be going through depression or anxiety or PTSD or whatever the case may be. And so when we talk about self-inclusion, like that first step is you have to insist on yourself. You have to insist on your own success. What does that look like for someone who is dealing with mental health issues? Acknowledgement. You know, when we're stuck in a space, whether we consider it to be through the physical illness or mental health related, it's identifying that just something doesn't feel right within us. And I think that's the first piece, having that self-dialogue that says, you know, I recognize there's been a shift. And what can I do to get out of this space? Now, I have an expression where I say to people, you know, when we go through something, we allow ourselves a grieving period. Typically, I always say to people, you know, the first 24 hours, anytime I get bad news, I give myself permission. And it's like giving myself permission to cry it out, shout it out, stomp it out, to flood with emotion. By the 48th hour, the 24th hour, you know, you have to start to tell yourself, no, what am I going to do with this? So I've grieved. I'm going through it. Now, how do I get to healing? Mm -hmm. And it looks very different for each individual. And that's a accessing support has to be comfortable and has to make sense. So there's various forms of therapy to engage with. I tell people there's no one size fits all model. So if you're somebody who finds value in conversation, then you may be interested in talk therapy and looking into resources that provide you with that support. Or if you're somebody who's into movement, then getting into activities like physical fitness and dance therapy, then that's for you. So I always tell people there's so many different ways to engage yourself, but figuring out what works, what were the things in your life that you found not only valuable, but supportive, that made, that uplifted your mood, that made you feel encouraged or motivated, tap into those things. And I know it's not an easy space to be in. I think most people, they contribute when they're in a space of feeling depressed or anxious, it's contributed to one of a few things. When people are experiencing depression, they often relate to events that have happened and occurred in life that were rooted in the past. And when people are dealing with anxiety, it relates to their fear of what's to come. And I think that when you're in that space, standing in the present, sometimes just being present in the moment, giving you know honor to awareness, mindfulness, to where you are in the present is just enough of a check-in to understand what I need to do next without putting the burden of responsibility of having to heal yourself immediately. Ooh. There, there's a few things I want to pull out from what you said that really struck me. The first is that acknowledge piece. 
And that sometimes can be the hardest piece, just saying, you know what, I need help or I need to figure out what's going on. But we have a human tendency to avoid. And then we push it down, we push it down, we push it down. And I like what you say about rest in the presence. I've never, it makes total sense, but I've never heard it explained that way. Depression is focused on the past. Anxiety is focused on the future. And so for someone like me, who has both, it's like, where do I stay? The present is the most healthy place for me to be. How do I do that? You know, that's equating yourself to balance. And that's, I think, the hardest thing for all of us to do as individuals is how do I allow myself the space to experience good and be comfortable with it? I think first you have to understand that happiness is a fleeting emotion. So people have this this success point where they're like, you know what, I have to be on top all of the time. I have to feel accomplished. I have to feel like... I'm always in a growing space, which isn't a bad space to be in, but it is a pressure cooker experience. And so when you set those goals, you know, and when you're telling yourself, I have to be on top, you start to feel overwhelmed. And calling yourself to the present is reminding yourself about what's good and what's okay in the moment. Even if it's something simple, if it's a scent, something that you take, something that you touch, just a simple moment in time where you reflect on what is working right now. It's enough to call yourself into the present and to not think about what has already happened that went wrong and what will happen or what could possibly go wrong. You got to allow yourself that time to call yourself back. But it's just that very intentional because sometimes we can shift constantly. Our thoughts kind of go back and forth and people like do experience in that racing between both. But if you just stop and try to silence some of what you're experiencing by saying, you know what, I'm here, just simply getting up. You know, I was able to open my eyes. That simple expression. I tell people all the time, you know, I am fortunate. I'm an able-bodied person. And when I say that, I do something very simple just to remind myself that things are still okay in this world. Five fingers on this hand, five toes on this side. And that's just simply enough for me to say, I'm okay right now. And I can do with this hand and I can do with this foot. And that's okay. And we all have those areas in which we have to bring that awareness to so that we can move forward past any indifference that we're experiencing in the moment. I love that. And I don't know why I'm getting all this imagery today. I was kind of thinking of like a compass and it's like, Just that action, it kind of takes you back to pointing north. And it's like that presence, that mindfulness. And that doesn't take long. That feels like a quick thing. Doesn't take time out of your day, but it kind of centers you back on the direction that you want to go. This is good. Yeah, I tell people all the time, it doesn't have to take long. I think that we think that anything that requires work is going to be a burden to us. And the burden for most people is time. They don't feel like they have enough of it. And, you know, sometimes I say to people, you know, with the 24 hours that we do have, there's so much that can be done and we do lose sight of it. And even if you don't use your 24 hours, you're fortunate when you open your eyes again the next day, you get another reset and you get another 24. That's right. That's right. An opportunity to get it right again, to try again. I love that. So after we talk about insisting, the next step is really igniting yourself to action. 
right? And so after we've acknowledged and we've rested in the moment and we've allowed ourselves to experience good, how do we then ignite ourselves to, as you talked about earlier, move from trauma to healing? It's so I say we use an expression called that being survivors of a situation. I've never been comfortable with the term survivor. I always say that we're trying to switch from being survivors to thriving in our present moment and how we get there. And I know it may sound, you know, people have difficulty with saying like goals, like goals come with too many stipulations. But I feel like if we root goals with a strong foundation and set guidelines, that's how we can accomplish these things that we seek out. We can work towards betterment. We can work towards wellness. So I'm a firm believer in what we call smart goals. And, you know, and kind of setting like a time reference and frame on these things. You can't rush yourself towards healing, but you can measure your progress. So I tell people, be intentional, be specific. What do you want? I feel like that's the first thing. If you feel like what was going on in your life wasn't working before, what do I feel like I need now? Like you meet yourself, I feel like every five to 10 years, you're a new version of yourself. So who you were then may have different goals in mind, but who you are now, you have to realign. So by making sure your goals are specific and measurable, that you can see how progress is being made and also celebrating yourself along the way for small progress. The small wins are the big things to focus on. Making sure that things are attainable, that this is something that can be done. Sometimes we set challenges for ourselves that unfortunately when we feel disappointed, we feel defeatist and we don't go after it again. So making sure that it's relevant to our big picture because everybody has one. You know, if you make a step in your life, you go like, ah, oh, this served this purpose, but does it serve the overall being? If I do this for temporary happiness, is this going to make me happy in the long run? And considering what that looks like for you. And I think time does have a place. And like I said, in what we do. So at the end of the day, if you're being smart, just by definition and adhering to your goals, you want to know that if this is something I feel like I can work on, where am I in a year? After I've measured progress, is it, has it gotten better? Even if I've just got inches closer to where I'm supposed to be. But if you find yourself in a space where things haven't improved, that's the homework. And that's the part. I always say this, you know, when you get out of school, most people say to themselves, homework is done. I'm so glad I don't have to go home and do the homework. There's always homework. There's always the life work that we have to do. Whether it comes in love and finance and relationship or career, there's homework. And I feel like that's another part of the work that we have to do to push us towards our purpose, to get us back to center. Absolutely. I mean, every time I've tried to rush that process, the healing process, it did not work. And then I look back, hindsight's always twenty twenty, right? And I look back and I'm like, man, if I would have really focused on that a year ago, I would be healed by now. But like I was playing around, trying to take shortcuts, avoiding, and you make things worse when you do that. Yeah. But you know, I think there's grace in the process, forgiveness. You know, we can be our own biggest critics and our own biggest enemies sometimes. And I feel like one thing I own is every decision that I've made, every person that I've encountered, there's a lesson and a blessing in all of it. And forgiving myself for just some of the things that only I've endured 
I say this to everyone and even things that people put you through. It's not easy. Forgiveness is one of the biggest challenges that most people have. And so when we make a mistake, we're taught that, you know, it's almost like punitive and we're hard on ourselves. And I said, just being able to forgive that, you know what? It didn't go the way I intended the first time. It is what it is. You know, let's try it again. Let's get back at it. I seen a quote by Winston Churchill. He said, success is failing again and again without losing enthusiasm. You know, I think that's the core. Once you lose that passion for something, once you feel like things are devalued, you don't have the same will to want to aspire to it anymore, to bring your goals to fruition. It's just, you feel like you've lost something. So forgiving yourself in the process is another place that people have to put themselves in just to move forward. I love that. We need to be kinder to ourselves. I'm good at forgiving others. I'm horrible at forgiving myself. And we need to extend the kindness to others. We need to extend that to ourselves. Yes, I'm heavy on the self-care. <laughs> I love that. So we've acknowledged where we are. We've appreciated the present. We are focused on our small wins and thriving. So now how do we make an impact? You know, I'm really big on we all can make an impact. It doesn't mean that our impact is going to affect a million people. It could be your neighbor, but that could be a trickle effect. So tell me what you think about that. So I am fully fledged committed to the idea of collectivism. And I explained to people that like, just like how you were saying, contribution, and it doesn't have to be you know, extreme. It doesn't have to be financial contribution. It doesn't have to be like, I built the bridge. Just simply the person and the idea to the planner, to the builder, to the executor, all of these people have roles. And when they all play a part in that collaborative, there's success that keeps me built upon. And I feel like for everybody getting comfortable with saying that I need help, I can't do it alone. If I do the self-work, I'll be more prepared to be involved in the group work. <laughs> that is required for all of us to get where we need to be. This is good stuff. If I do the self-work, then I'll be ready to do the group work. Such good stuff. And, you know, when we're talking about mental health, there are so many people who won't get help, right? Or there are so many people who don't know where to start, you know, like, okay, these sound great, but like, how do I practically put this into practice? So like, what advice would you give to someone who is like, all right, I want to start this journey. I want to heal, you know, myself. What are some places that they can start? So one of the things that I tell people is that information is everywhere. But sometimes because of the sensitivity of what people attach to mental health, they're reluctant to go in spaces and ask questions. Everyone who has access to, let's say, a level of a primary care physician, you go to the doctor. And most people, they lie. They tell the doctor, you know, I don't want to answer certain questions. They have fear of judgment and they're not truthful about where they are. There's a screening that occurs just simply at that medical appointment that says, how are you doing? How are you feeling? I said, answer the real question. Even when we pass people on the street, they have a tendency to say, okay, and they're not okay. They're giving you the answer that allows you to go away. 
So at first, you know, I said, just talking to your primary care physician, actually, you know, telling, informing them what feels different. Let them determine what other resources they can connect you with. That's also a great starting point. There's hotlines and phone numbers. One of the ones that we use here at NYC is 188NYC Talk or Wellness. And so it allows you to tap into a network where you can call that phone number and you can be patched in to online providers. You can be patched into a text site just so you can do mental health check-ins. My facility that I also use is called Hope Check and it works with children. They can have their parents sign up. They can text how they're doing for the day. It sends the family an alert to let them know how they're doing. It also sends their mental health provider some insight to know when they need to get a call. So there's so many different resources that people don't have to start with in great sense. Even apps like Calm, just even practicing the skill of relaxation. So it starts all small and small conversations where people don't feel like they have to disclose everything about themselves, that they have to pour every emotion because it's not easy. Even just like I said, a lot of services now provided, we have moved from an in-person platform to virtual. And that's also made it increasingly accessible to the masses. So I tell people, if you're not comfortable with the face-to-face in person, or if you're not even comfortable with the Zoom-related service, you have teleservices that now allow you so many different points of connection. And I think that's just about getting the information out there to people. And once people see it, normalizing that so many of us benefit from it. I say this not only as a provider, but a receiver as well. We all have to have those check-ins to sustain. Yeah. And you're not helping anybody by lying to yourself. Like it's my best friend. She always says this to me. She's like, well, you could tell me whatever, but don't lie to yourself. It's like... We have to be honest with ourselves about before we can then go to someone else for help. And that fear of judgment, I was laughing because I've definitely lied to doctors before or I've omitted things from my therapist. But how does that help me? It doesn't. Like, I'm not giving them a clear picture of my health, my condition, and what I need. And so they're not able to properly treat me if I'm not honest with them. You know, I understand the discomfort though. You know, I constantly, I always say this is a humbling feeling and one that I've experienced many times where often those providing me with care may not look like me. And there's a narrative that's also attached to us as women of color that says it's rooted in our strength. Mm-hmm. And in that strength, it says that, you know, I'm not entitled to weakness. I'm not entitled to rest. So how can I communicate this to somebody, especially somebody who doesn't look like me? Because what are they going to think overall? Am I one person that defines everything for people who look like me? So you know what? I'm going to go in and I'm going to mask it. Mm. And I'm going to hold back my experience and what I'm going through. Because I don't want anyone to see me sweat. And with that, you know, unfortunately, there's a lot of hurt and harm done. Because you can only hold on for so long. You know, I love Erica Badu and I always say, that baggage, you're going to miss that bus. Like, you know? And so if you hold on to it, eventually something will happen that you did not hope would happen. And so it's so unfortunate. So I tell people, that's the first line. If ever you feel like you are expressing yourself to someone and you don't feel heard or received, 
that's the beauty in having access. Like I said, the internet has an abundance of resources. If that person's not to you, if you don't sound value in the treatment that you are receiving, that's not your provider. That's not where you need to be. If it's an exercise, an activity, a group, a social club, an event, and it does not work within your own healing journey and in your space, that's not for you, but we don't give up. We look for other options and other alternatives. We try to keep ourselves accountable in the healing journey to continue to work on us. Yes, I've done the virtual therapy before through one of the you know programs, and I was able to say I wanted a woman, I wanted someone of color, I wanted someone who had these areas of expertise. And so you're right that there are so many ways to find someone who looks like you or has the same values or fits the need that you have. And I love that you say, if it doesn't work, find someone else. Like you are not bound to, you know, that first provider that you may go to. But one of the reasons why I started Well and Wolf, it was rooted within the pandemic. And I explained to people, things were so chaotic. I was working in the psychiatric emergency room. And, you know, it was an abundance of just so many people going in with an array of concerns, especially related to lost loved ones and trauma. And I just wanted to give back to our people by figuring out how do we get to the healing space? And I was teaching cognitive behavioral therapy techniques and incorporating mindfulness. And then so many people were encouraged, you know, like, keep doing this. This is helpful. And I said, a part of the work that I do, I said, I wanted to be informative and educational as well because there's the learning and everything that we have to do. And like I said, and in addition to that, not only the learning piece, I wanted to really let people know that mental health is real and it's okay to seek help and the ways to go about it and access it in all of its forms. Yes. We haven't talked about Well and Woke, so please tell us about that. What is it? How do we interact with you? So well and woke. So I do have my website information and I am listed on Instagram. And how it started is me creating videos. So I started recording these videos. You know, Instagram had a really amazing feature where you can go live and when you can upload all this different, like I said, media platforms before they did reels. <laughs> and during that time, it was yoga. I would tell people all the time that like, I was really into yoga. It was helping me feel centered you know, in addition to my affirmations. And so I would get off after a long shift and I had just decided, I was like, turning the camera, let's do this with people. Let's invite people into this process. And then I started saying to people, let's have a chat on my yoga mat <laughs> and inviting them in. And from there, it just became me doing workshops. So I got the opportunity to do a lot of women's workshops in the Harlem, New York area. And it was just exciting. So many different women had similar questions about just like how to access supports and how to harness your goals, how to deal with things like time management. And it took on a life of its own. So, you know, I've been very fortunate to share information and different organizations and different capacities. And it's the work that I love and that I would love to continue doing. I love that. When you find that perfect intersection of passion and life's work, it's perfect. Let's say yes. Well, listen, Dana, I've had such a great time talking with you. I'm going to put your website and your social media links in the show notes so that people can follow you if they would like. Any last words as we think about how do you really 
advocate for yourself and take care of yourself as it comes to mental health. Well, wholeness as a whole. Choose you this time. Really choose you this time. Above it all, you have to choose you. That's the starting. Just like you have to choose yourself this time. All right. Listen, I don't need to say anything else. Mic drop. Thank you so much for joining me today. I have two pages of notes. This has been really great stuff. For our audience, thank you for tuning in. And we look forward to speaking with you next week. Thank you for having me. You Belong Here with Beth Ruffin is a production of The Everyday Inclusionist and can be found wherever you listen to podcasts. Please follow, subscribe, share, and leave a review. If you have a question you'd like me to address, send an email to info at bethruffin.com. Thank you. Thank you.